Let me ask you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 5. It's a particularly uh, wonderful day for me personally, not only with Adam coming aboard, uh, uh, seeing him, one who has come up through uh, our church here, uh, but in my previous church in Atlanta, a young man that I had, we had hired as a, a youth director when I was there has uh, progressed through the years, and today they are installing him as the senior pastor there. So it's uh, a double joy for me. In Acts uh, 5, uh, we're not going to read the whole text that you have before you, although we will eventually read it in the, in the context of uh, the message. Some of you who are here are teetering or trying to teeter between two worlds. The world of belief and commitment and the world of just not quite being there yet. And you're weighing it. Now, I know this because I could stand before virtually any congregation of any size, and I could say that because always we have people who are struggling with faith, some on, for the initial commitment and some struggling along the way. There are those that would tell you, come to faith and you can get rich Things are going to go well for you if you only come to faith. You don't have to deal with sickness and, and those things that maybe you're dealing with right now. There are those that would tell you that if you were at home this morning, you could find them all over the TV and this evening as well. But Jesus didn't say that. You see, that's the problem. That's an attractive uh, invitation to come and get rid of all those things. That, but the problem is, it's not true and it just simply doesn't fit with reality. And if I would tell you that, or if Jesus had said that, it wouldn't take very long after you had stepped over that threshold and said, okay, in that case I will believe, it would not be long before you would say, this isn't working. There is something I will tell you, and I can promise you if you step over that threshold, it will be an adventure. <laughs> now, adventures can be defined in a lot of different ways. Some adventures are grand and glorious all the time, and others have some very difficult things in them. But the Christian walk is an adventure. And in this chapter, we see various aspects of the adventure we call being a Christ follower. I want to pick up with verse 17 
uh, the few verses before that, which we'll read in a moment, uh, have to do with some healings that took place. If you remember a couple weeks ago, uh, we talked about Ananias and Sapphira and the seriousness of of sin and uh, so on and uh, how those who had lied to the Holy Spirit received immediate temporal punishment for it as a reminder of how serious sin is. And then uh, beginning with verse 12, we see it says, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people. And that's the kind of thing that's going on. But on the heels of that, verse 17, But the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. When they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council and all the synod of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captains of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this, uh, what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. And the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, They set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at His right hand as leader and Savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey Him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for seeing fit to preserve this portion of Scripture, of what actually took place. We need to know now what it means to us today here in Columbia for our life this next week and in our struggles. And so we ask that your Spirit would make that clear to each of our hearts And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, recently, as you know, there was a a terrible shooting in a movie theater and then a, a couple of weeks ago at a Sikh temple, another 
shooting. I want to paint for you another picture. It's a sad scene. It's uh, a scene that is almost unbearable for me to say out loud. You're going to have to use your imagination. But bear with me. I think in a few minutes you'll see why we need to recognize this scene I'm going to paint. Imagine you're at a wedding. The groom stands in front of the church. The congregation is in place. And the bride enters in. She begins to walk down the aisle and the groom who had his eyes on the bride sees beyond her someone dressed in black who walks in and obviously he is carrying a weapon. He comes in The groom, seeing what is going on, runs down the aisle toward his bride just as the gunman takes aim toward the bride. The groom steps between the gunman and the bride just as the bullet meant for her arrives And taking the bullet, he falls on the ground and dies. The bride is spared. The gunman runs away. What an awful scene. The Bible tells us that the church is the bride of Christ. He is the groom. Satan will not give up trying to destroy the bride of Christ. He will do whatever he can in order to do that. I want us to look in this passage. We will see some glimpses of that. But there's a much bigger lesson here as well. Those first verses that I told you about, and I'm, I'm going to talk to you today a little bit about that adventure. I told you there's, all, there's highs, lows, all kinds of things in that adventure. Well, one of the things in, in the adventure of following Christ is that He gives us opportunity to see his power. <clears throat> now in verse 12, it says this, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Now before I even finish reading that portion of the passage, I want to jump on one of these phrases here because 
there is a misconception among many who are in churches, and I'm sure sitting in churches uh, around us today, and perhaps some here, and that is, that misconception is that joining the church connects us with Christ. It's the other way around. Our salvation is not in joining the church. But in being joined, look at what it says here. Verse 14. Uh, More than ever, believers were added to the Lord. See, that's the connection. They were added to the Lord and then to the church. The church was growing because people were being added to the Lord. So don't ever fall for that which Satan would love for people to believe that all you got to do is join a church and then you're fine. No. It's about being connected to the King of the church. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Going on, verse 15. So uh, it talks about multitudes of both men and women uh, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Now, we have talked uh, as we've gone through the book of Acts, and I told you I'd, I'd give you more and more characteristics of what biblical healing and miracles are versus what we tend to see today. And a couple of the things that we've already talked about is that biblical healing was by a word or touch and that organic illnesses were healed, not just things where people say, yeah, I got this ache inside that nobody could ever find or, or do anything with or document in any way. The kinds of things that were healed in the Scripture were obvious and clear and visible, uh, that it was obvious that it was from the Lord. Well, here we see one more principle in verse 16, says, and they were all healed. <laughs> we don't see that today among those who say, I'm, I'm a faith healer. Now, does healing take place today? Absolutely. God heals people. But I'm talking about those who, who, who are talking about being a faith healer. By the way, coincidentally, providentially, there may be some times where God uses, uh, uh, decides to heal immediately, and it happens to be when somebody's uh, uh, a faith healer is praying for somebody. But look, if, if it were biblical healing like we see in the Scripture, why don't we see any faith healers go to hospitals? I mean, really, what? If, look at what happened with the apostles. They, all of them were healed. Well, where are you going to go? Go where the sick people are. We, we never see that. I'm not saying there aren't those who don't go through hospitals and pray for folks. There are. And we do that regularly. Our pastoral staff is always in hospitals praying for folks. But this says all of them were healed. We have to say, 
it's completely up to God who will and will not be healed. But when we're following Christ, we have opportunity to see His power at work. And that's a positive. Think of things in your life that you have seen, you who are Christ followers, that you have seen, that you have witnessed, that if you weren't following Christ, you, you, you wouldn't have had the opportunity to see. I see those things every week as God works in people's lives. As people, look, I, I saw it yesterday when we had all these volunteers up here and I'm, you know, as later in the afternoon, I'm, I'm reviewing this, I'm thinking, you know, why would people do that? Give up a big portion of their day off to come and, and work around here and get things ready. And, you know, and we could say the same for people who teach Sunday school and who are around here behind the scenes all the time. You would not you can't imagine how many people it takes to, to do the things we do around here. It's not one or two or three people. Well, the answer is that's the power of God at work in people's lives. And you just don't have that opportunity. If you're not a follower of Christ, you're just not going to see that. You'll be isolated from the opportunity and the privilege of seeing God work. Now, there are some things about the Christian adventure that not everyone would choose. In fact, most of us wouldn't choose. For instance, verse 17, and that is that following Christ is not a formula for popularity. Um, it says this, but the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, uh, and filled with jealousy, then it goes on and says what they did. Here's what we have here is that... Um, this party had labored all their life in religious endeavors, and then all of a sudden we have these, these upstarts, and what was their reaction? They were jealous of them. They weren't saying, oh, come on, this is glorious to have more help, you know, here in Jerusalem. We need everybody doing their... You know, it wasn't that. They were jealous, and they tried to figure out how to get rid of them. We'll see the opposition part. But it's not a formula for popularity. So you who are teetering between the two, if you think, you know what, this might, this might help me with my boss who's a Christian or my teacher or something else, don't kid yourself. It may help with individuals at times, but if that's your motivation, you're going to be sorely disappointed, <laughs> even right here in the Bible Belt. And then it goes on, how following Christ can lead to opposition. Now, this is a big chunk, 17 through 42. I read a, a good part of that. Now, that's obviously a step beyond not, not leading to popularity. There, there's actual opposition it can lead to. Look at the perspective of Jesus, though. I mean, he warns us. He says this in Matthew 10, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Peter says this in 1 Peter 2.20, For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? In other words, if you get what you had coming to you. But if when you do good and suffer for 
uh, for it uh, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you've been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. You know those little uh, WWJD bracelets, what would Jesus do? That came from a book called In His Steps. It was written way back in the early 20th century. And that was based on this scripture, In His Steps. Jesus suffered. We should expect that to be a part of our calling. Did you hear what I asked Adam this morning? Do you promise to be zealous and faithful in maintaining the truths of the gospel and the purity and peace and unity of the church? Whatever persecution or opposition may arise unto you on that account. I I didn't make that up. But it's right that it's there. And you know what? There's other parts of the world, most other parts of the world, if they were to answer a vow like that, they'd know exactly what you're talking about. And they would know that might be tonight. It could be any minute now. There is opposition. You're not going to hear that from Joel Olstein. You're not going to hear it on the TV from most. But you hear it from Jesus. He was honest. He was real honest with those who he called to himself. And then we see that uh, following Christ can lead one to places they would not expect. Let me just give you some examples. Uh, Notice the places as I read these verses. Verse 17, but the high priest rose up and all who were with him uh, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. Okay, we got prison. Verse 21, uh, when they heard this, and that was the call to go teach, even though they had been in prison, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Think they expected to be there? When they were sitting in prison and, uh, you know, 20 minutes before, went into the temple to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council and all the synod of the people of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. So they went to find them in prison. They weren't there. That's where they expected them to be. And then verse 27, and when they had brought them, they set them before the council and the high priest questioned them. Verse 40, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Here we have the apostles. Do you think they expected all this when they were fishermen by the sea and Jesus said, come follow me? Now, he was honest all the way through to them. All of his teaching was honest and upfront. But do you think they they ever wondered, how did I get here? You know, the night in prison. (laughs) How'd this happen? And then the next morning, they're in the temple teaching. Okay, well, how'd this happen? And then they get beaten and told, you better not be teaching that anymore, and so on. When I was a teenager thinking about what what I would do with my life, and I was going to be either a sportscaster or a forest ranger. 
because as you know, sportscasters don't have to wear ties and uh, forest rangers don't have to be around people. <laughs> and God in His infinite humor called me to a place that more often than I like, I, I wear a tie. And all the time, which I love, I'm around people. He knew way better. I was thinking about that this week. From following Christ, I've found myself preaching in places I never imagined. I've had opportunity, and I don't deserve this, to take 16 overseas trips, preaching and teaching, and some of those trips in more than one country. I don't deserve that. I have found myself in a, in a cab, a taxi cab alone in Bombay, India at 1 a.m. in the morning, wondering if I would ever be seen again. I have been in a church that had no walls in Carretera, Mexico, where people worship the Lord there. I've been in countless funeral homes, hospitals, hospices. I've been to abortion clinics. I've been to the National Day of Prayer. Uh, breakfast, rather. I've sat at head tables with dignitaries. I've, I've been in mansions that I never could have set foot in. And I've, I've been in homes that, that were shacks that didn't have indoor plumbing. to births, deaths, and most of the things in between. And frankly, there are times where I'm tempted to look down at my feet and say, how did you get here? And the only explanation is this. By following Christ. If you really follow Christ, if you really follow Him, you will find yourself in places you can't explain except by following Christ. Now, I could have done some of those things, but not to that degree. That's the adventure that following Christ can be. Further, following Christ will re require a stand for Him. Peter and the apostles were told not to teach in Jesus' name. Peter answers, verse 29, we must obey God rather than men, and then they did. Now, not everyone has to face authorities like the apostles did, uh, but we will all at some point have to stand for Christ. You will be called to it. It may be with others. It may be by yourself. This is what Jesus said in Luke 12, 9. The one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Uh, James Dobson in his uh, book, Hide or Seek, uh, tells about uh, psychologist Ruth Berenda and her associates who carried out this experiment. And what they did was, uh, it, it was with teenagers, and they called in 10 at a time, and they asked, they, they showed them three different charts, and they all had lines on them, and they were to raise their hand when 
the person up front pointed to the longest line on the chart. So ten people come in. What one person in that room didn't know was that the other nine were all in on this study, and they all raised their hand when the second longest line, when they pointed the second longest line. So, you know, they point to the shortest, nobody raised their hand, they point to the second longest line, and nine people raised their hand, and you know what happens 75% of the time? The tenth one raised their hand too. You know, it's like, okay, it must be the longest. Now, they they could plainly see it wasn't the longest. And they did this with uh, older teens and with children as well. And it was the same kind of results. Conformity, even in the sight of something you know is wrong. Now, what I'm saying is this. That's what nature, you know, our human nature will take us that way. That's the natural way to go. Most people want to conform. I guess that's the longest. Okay, me too, you know. Rather than be the only one to say, are you kidding me? It's not the longest. That other one's, you know. The believer can't afford to do that. We've got to be the one, if necessary, to stand for truth. We are in a world that seems to pay more attention to opinion polls than to objective truth. And that's not how we should make our decisions. We have the Word of God. That is truth. And that must always be our standard. Finally, following Christ will always bring a new perspective. Verse 41, then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Now that's not a natural perspective. We don't typically rejoice that we have the honor, we don't even call it an honor, of of being shamed for the name of Christ. But they did. Why? Because the Christ follower who is indwelled by the Holy Spirit will not follow his nature, but follow Christ. And if that means following him into his suffering or opposition, then that's what it will be. Now you may say, well, yeah, but they were apostles. They were stronger than us. It wasn't just for apostles. Peter writes this for all of us in 1 Peter 4.13. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. That's for all of us. Now I want us to apply it quickly from a funnel perspective. First, the big picture. Satan's attack, attacks against the church, outward and inward. We will see that through the book of Acts. Remember, we had... Uh, A couple of weeks ago, the inward attack from uh, tempting those people to lie to the Holy Spirit. Maybe that will mess up the church. Instead, it strengthened the church. But then one of his attacks on the church is outward as well. You had Nero 20 years after Christ imprisons and executes Christians, probably including Peter and Paul. Twenty years later, 
Domitian. John exiled to Patmos. A hundred years later, Aurelius permitted mob violence. Under Decius, thousands died. Under Diocletian, he tried to stamp out Christianity altogether. Today, you have Marxist-run countries. You have uh, uh, Hindu and Islam uh, countries where Christianity is not permitted. Satan will not give up his attacks. Now, here's the question. Should we, should we huddle together and be afraid that Satan's going to have his way and stamp out the church? The answer is no. This is what Tertullian said, addressing the rulers of the Roman Empire. Kill us. Torture us. Grind us to dust. The more you mow us down, the more we grow. The seed is the blood of the Christians. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. That's our hope, absolutely. And that's true for St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church as well. Here's what I want you to take with you. Those are big picture things. But when the Bible talks about the church, he's talking about you, individuals. Individuals make up the body of Christ. It is you who are trusting in Christ alone for your eternal life. That's what the church is. It's of you that we speak. You who will be opposed but you who will be preserved by the one who said, I will build my church. Remember our opening picture. The groom lay dead. Then suddenly, he arises, gathers up his bride and says, come away, my beloved. I will protect you. And I will never leave you. That's the picture. It is a glorious one of the one who laid down his life for us and showed us once and for all Satan will not have his way with God's people. Here's what I want us to do. Tomorrow, for some of you, there's a bunch of people starting school, right? Some of you will be starting in the next few weeks. Some of you have already started. I want us to pray for those. We commission other people into mission fields. I want us to pray for those who are going, who may at some point have some opposition, but that God would protect in every way. Some of you are going to be homeschooled. Some of you are going to be in Christian schools and some in public schools. And all of you need prayer. So I would like to ask if you are a teacher or staff person at any school, uh, if you are a student, and that, that's from the youngest ones here in the sanctuary all the way up to college kids or graduate students, please stand up because the rest of us are going to pray for you. Go ahead.
I know you're being shy. Don't you want to be prayed for? Okay, let's, let's join our hearts together in prayer. Lord, we thank you for everyone that is standing and all of their families and for some who've already headed off to school. Lord, uh, this is a, a new step, a new challenge for many, a new grade, new students, maybe a new school. Lord, we want to ask for your protection. You're the God who wants to protect your people. And you want us to know that, that we need to stand for you. And Lord, will you help everyone who is standing now when the time comes, if they need to take a stand for you, will you help them do that, whether it's on the playground or in the classroom? And help them to stand firm because your Spirit enables them to, not just because they're stubborn, but because your Spirit gives them the strength and grace to do it. And then help them to do it in a winsome way, not a pompous way, but in a way that really represents you, represents Christ. So others will see the name of Jesus being lifted up. Lord, we ask that you will uh, show your presence with, with each one of these uh, tomorrow and in the days to come and every single day. Help them to look to you and help us to remember to be praying as we go out and we see school buses and pass by schools. Help us, Lord, to be praying for um, all of the believers that are there. And we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Be seated. God bless you.